0: Welcome to the Female Disruptors Office Hours, a podcast audio experience created for women by women. My name is Lisa Bayer and I will be your host. Each episode, I will interview females and minorities disrupting in their space. We're going to talk about how you can break through the age and gender discrimination, how women can take back your power, how you can have anything you want at any age. So let's get started. Welcome, Dr. Kates to uh, yay we're so excited to be talking about women health and hormones and your exciting docu series that's dropping on September 13th about like takes us through women in their 20s, 30s, 40s and up and hormone issues aren't just for like when you're about to get your period or when you're going through menopause. Well, hormones are so important. I've learned so much from you and so much on my own over the past 10 years. So just tell us a little bit about your background and the docu series that's about to come out.
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, the docuseries Hormones, Health and Harmony comes out September 13th and it's online and it's free to watch. We have nine different episodes and they will be up uh, available for free 24 hours
0: online. I'm so excited about it. And you interviewed so many amazing guests. Yeah. So before I get into any of the questions that we have, why don't you just kind of take us through like what, you know, is there what every woman needs to know at every age when it comes to hormones? Because. I don't think men and women realize how much hormones dictate their health.
1: Absolutely. And it's, I've been seeing patients for 22 years and it is the question that I get asked about the most is around hormones. And also the thing that surprises a lot of people, they don't realize that their hormones are so connected to so many different areas of their health. So if, you know, for people watching live, if you put in the chat, a symptom, I can probably tell you how it's related to your hormones. I mean, it's, it's shocking if we think Think about hormones, it's not just our sex hormones, which of course impact women's cycles, you know, our periods, but also our sleep, our mood, our metabolism, our weight, our appetite, our blood sugar regulation, really, our skin. So many things impact our health as a result of our hormones. We have our sex hormones, we have our adrenal hormones, we have our thyroid hormones, we have, you know, we've got melatonin and all these other insulin is a hormone a lot of people don't even think about that and they impact our health in so many ways and including the way we feel too our mood our confidence how we show up in the world is impacted by our hormones and when our hormones are not balanced, we can feel older than we are. We can look older than we are. We can feel we can feel less motivated. It can physically change us as well as mentally, emotionally. And so that's one of the reasons why I wanted to do this docu-series is to cover all the different ways that hormones impact our health and how what we're doing may be negatively impacting our hormones. Our hormones are constantly in flux. Throughout the day, hormones like cortisol are changing. Throughout the month, for especially women who are still menstruating, very a lot of changes happening with hormones. Throughout our lives, we go through different transitions, and you know, puberty. If we get pregnant, postpartum, perimenopause, menopause, postmenopause. All of these bring. Different changes. Our hormones change with the seasons, you know, fall, winter, spring, summer, it changes there. And so, what we do, the lifestyle choices that we make, the foods we eat, even our mindset to a certain extent, and stress, the way we manage our stress definitely impacts our hormones, how we sleep, how we move our bodies. The personal care products we use, hormone disrupting chemicals in our environment, our environment impacts our hormones. And so when we look at that, what can we do to change up our lifestyle to help balance, to help harmonize our hormones? So I also have a book, Natural Beauty Reset, the seven-day program to Harmonize Hormones and Restore Radiance is also coming at September 13th. And this has my seven-day program for each season to do a reset for food movement mindset and skincare.
0: I see some familiar names here. So female disruptors, Holly is here and Sharon Topeka. So Holly says burning scalp, which is painful with hair loss. Any thoughts on this?
1: Yeah. So, well, first of all, hair loss can definitely be related to your hormones. And so hair loss, one of the biggest things that we think of with hormones is thyroid. When there is low thyroid function or hypothyroidism, one of the early signs can be hair loss. So so hair falling out. It also can be associated with androgen excess. So high levels of testosterone can also trigger hair loss. And that's particularly, so if you have hair loss, and you have low energy, you're maybe gaining weight, you may be constipated, fatigue, those are some of the signs of low thyroid function. So if you have like multiple different ones, you just have to look at what other symptoms do you have versus androgen excess, you might notice that you're maybe some acne breakouts, like hormonal acne. You may notice like some dark hairs growing like on your face or having um, hair where you don't particularly want it. That can be other signs with the hair loss. There are other causes of hair loss too, like anemia, iron deficiency. That, that can be one of the things. Now, burning scalp, a painful scalp, that's something I would probably go see your dermatologist about, because again, there are other reasons for hair loss. If you have a skin condition, like, like if you have eruptions on your scalp, do, I think a lot of times we forget that our skin extends to our scalp. So I always tell people when you go and get, you know, go to your dermatologist, get your skin check for your, you know, for cancer, look for cancer. You also want to make sure that they check your scalp because that's an extension of that. So basically just because it's hidden by your hair, doesn't mean it's not connected. So it's all part of this, this, our largest organ. So I would say it's kind of hard for me to know exactly why you might be having a burning scalp, but you know, you should be able to go in and see your dermatologist. They can take a look at it.
0: Sharon is saying waking and breakouts and Topeka is saying belly blow which, I mean, I think we all can relate to those three for sure.
1: Well, and it's interesting. Weight gain can be associated with several different hormones. It can be going back to low thyroid function. That could be one of them. Thyroid impacts our metabolism. So if the thyroid is not working well, that can slow everything down. And that includes our metabolism. However, that's not the only thing that causes weight gain when it comes to hormones. Also, if we have low androgens, so we always want to, Balance on something. So we get too high of androgens that can create issues, but if it's too low, then we can actually lose body muscle. We can use muscle mass, and then that can be replaced with fat. The other thing is it's very common and you know, especially if we look at belly bloating, we look at weight gain around the midsection is high cortisol. When our adrenal function, when we're overly stressed and our adrenals are, they release hormones to help us. When we need to get out of danger, we need to, you know, the fight or flight response, sympathetic, the adrenaline, as well as cortisol. But the problem is, is we never give our bodies a chance to restore and do stress management. And we're constantly pushing ourselves. Then we can produce high cortisol cortisol. cortisol in an ongoing manner. And then that's what can cause weight gain to happen. And that belly, especially around the, belly area if that's what's going on belly bloating also can go back to more digestive stuff but when we look at our gut health gut and hormones go hand in hand so we need to either way we want to look at our gut health so that's also really important yeah so i mean as you can see so much is happening and then of course you know somebody says post menopause so if you're we're talking about menopause your ovaries stop working And so you're not producing estrogen, progesterone, testosterone from your ovaries. We still produce some hormones from adrenal glands and fat cells. So it's not like your hormones completely go away, but it changes significantly. And so what happens is initially with perimenopause, you start to have a lower amount of progesterone and then estrogen will start to come down as well. And then also testosterone, but as these different things happen, you might develop different symptoms along the way. And then with menopause, you know, a a lot of these can drop. So, I mean, the good news is that there are a lot of things that we can do to support our bodies in production, as well as maybe supplementing with like things like bioidentical hormone.
0: I'll just use myself as an example. So I was fortunate enough to start learning early on, like maybe 20 years ago now about hormones. And it was, you know, I always encourage women, my friends don't wait until you think you're having hormonal problems, or you think you're about to go into pre perimenopause or menopause, get a benchmark as early as you can to see your hormone levels and get your hormones checked. You know, I started getting my hormones checked maybe once a year, but that was outside of the box for my OBGYN at the time. Like they were just like, what, like, you don't need to get your hormones checked unless you have a problem. So I started monitoring and benchmarking my hormone levels early so that when I started seeing you know, I could identify drops and what I needed to possibly supplement in and fast forward to today. So I haven't had my period in like three years, I never had any issues. Because as I was, you know, seeing deficiencies, I would get prescribed by a hormone expert, you know, would say progesterone, because my progesterone started becoming very low or testosterone, because my testosterone was low. So I really never experienced any negative effects going through, you know, different changes that most women have, like, really, really bad side effects from. And I feel like a lot of it, I'd love your opinion is that you don't start early and getting the hormones checked. And when you have a doctor, which this is still very common that isn't as educated as you are and all the experts on women and hormones, where do you go to get your hormones tested from somebody that is legit?
1: Yeah. that, that it, There are a lot of questions there. So, I mean, a lot of layers in that. So getting tested with someone who specializes in this is a lot easier than just going to like your conventional doctor and getting asking for testing. Because what oftentimes they'll say is, especially if you're already at menopause or you're really close to it, they'll probably say there's no point because you're not, you're not producing hormones. So it's going to come back and they're going to be low. So there's no point in us testing, but that's blood work. The blood work is limited. There are some hormones you can test easily with blood work, as especially, you know, thyroid, that's a great, you can easily test your thyroid with blood work. Problem with that is a lot of doctors will only run a TSH and the TSH range of normal. What's considered normal is very large. It's too big. And so what happens is you'll be, you'll go see your doctor. I think there's something wrong with my thyroid. They'll do run a TSH. And if it's not flagged as out of range, they're going to say everything's normal. You're fine. But the problem is, is that you might be just like a teeny bit below normal or above normal range and they're not going to mention it because that's just not typically what they do but there is a more optimal range where we want to see tsh plus you want to see what your free t3 and free t4 your actual thyroid hormones are doing and if you have any thyroid antibodies now most conventional doctors they don't know what to do with autoimmune thyroid conditions so they won't if you test for that They won't necessarily have any other recommendations where you don't have like a magic pill that's going to help you with that. So they're not necessarily going to want to run that, but from a more functional or naturopathic medicine perspective, we want to optimize health. We don't want to just wait until these are a full-blown issue. We want to catch like you're talking about. Let's look at this early on. Maybe you're starting to have a little bit of fatigue, a little bit of weight gain and things like let's test then and do a full panel and then look at more optimal ranges. And that's thyroid. But with sex hormones, when your ovaries are not producing very much, you know, it, they're just going to show up as low. So, but if your ovaries are, you know, if you're still cycling, if you're still having a period without doing hormones, then that means you're still ovulating most likely. And so then that's a good time. Like you're saying you could do blood tests then, but I really like the, I like doing urine tests for hormones and for sex hormones and because they will look at your levels of hormones, but also your metabolites. So that means it's looking at how your hormones are being broken down, how your body is breaking down your hormones. The reason why that's important is that certain metabolites, things that are broken down by your hormones, put us at higher risk for things like osteoporosis or breast cancer, whereas other, you know, like so, but we want to make sure that our bodies are properly metabolizing our hormones. And then um, there are genetic predispositions that a lot of people have that will change that make it not so optimal with way your body metabolizes hormones. So especially if a woman is on bioidentical hormones, I like to do that so then I know if they're getting the hormone, how their body is actually processing it. And if they're not metabolizing it in a good way, then there are nutrients, there are herbs and supplements and things that we can do to help support that. So it's really all of it. It's not just your hormones. It's also these metabolites, but your blood isn't going to pick that up. It's only urine.
0: What's interesting is that, so I have my primary care physician who's like very traditional. And then I have my... know, hormone doctor who's also could be considered a primary care, but isn't technically. So my primary care does my blood work every six months and the whole panel, but like blood work, but my hormone doctor is now doing this. It's called the Dutch test. It's a urine test. So I've never had the actual Dutch test before this. I literally just did it last week. And so it's almost like taking five times a day. You you can on a stick, like a pregnancy test, and then you send it in. And that like, what, have you heard of the Dutch test or?
1: Yeah, that's the, the, what I typically do. Yeah.
0: I just think, it, and then it's funny, like I'll get my advice from my primary care and I'm just like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I get my advice from my hormone doctor. And I'm like, yes. Yeah. And I don't even like question some of the things because he's like, oh, your testosterone seems really high according to the traditional markers, you know, or your progesterone. I'm worried about your vitamin D being a little bit high, but then my hormone doctor is like, no, your vitamin D needs to be higher that's okay. So Mm -hmm. it's just, there's so many, you know, I just always encourage women to just self-educate and go to somebody outside of your primary doctor that might not have this type of education because it's not required to do, you know, continuing education in this really, you could be knowing the same thing for 50 years, right?
1: Well, I mean, there is a requirement for continuing education, but there's not a requirement for understanding, you know, all the like functional medicine, naturopathic stuff. Right. um, Yeah. That's what I meant. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and you know you interviewed Suzanne Summers for your part of the docu series, and I love the quote that one of your doctors that you interviewed said about Suzanne Summers because here she is. She's not even a doctor, but can you remind me what was some of the, the feedback that you got from the doctors that they learned something?
1: Yeah, it was really interesting. I interviewed over fifty experts for this, and Suzanne Summers was one of the people I interviewed, and the other experts didn't know that I'd interviewed Suzanne Summers, but when we did, I believe it was our last round of interviews. There were three different gynecologists in that. And that interviews, you know, we did a group of interviews on a weekend, and there were three different gynecologists who mentioned, who brought up Suzanne Summers, and that her book was one of the things that one of her books is what changed their lives personally and then professionally. And so, what made them encourage them to shift to more of a functional medicine approach. And so, you know, what was happening is they were practicing more of the conventional gynecology and they had been prescribing a lot of birth where they prescribe a lot of birth control pills to help manage hormonal issues rather than just for birth control. So like hormonal acne, period problems, irregular periods, heavy periods. And they were just putting women on that. Even women that were perimenopausal women, you know, like around 50 to help them kind of regulate, regulate. I'm using air quotes here because it's not really regulating. It's just shutting everything down. And then they started having some their own health issues and thought isn't there more than this? And so they found functional medicine and turned to that for their own health issues, saw dramatic changes in their energy, their sleep, symptoms like hot flashes and night sweats and period problems, as well as their weight and significant changes to the point of like, why, why have I been practicing this way? And one person even, she even said, I feel so bad. I'm, I'm so sorry to all those patients who I put on birth control pills and took their uteruses out without knowing this approach. I could have prevented a lot of these, you know, putting women through these things and taking out, and I'm not saying that no one should ever have a hysterectomy, but a A lot of these cases can be prevented and I think a lot of times gynecologists are too quick to put people on you know or even antidepressants or sleep medications without really looking at what is the root cause here what's going on here and having more of that approach so it was I mean it was really fun to see them mention Suzanne and the the impact that she's made on a lot of people
0: definitely and typically when you go to the doctor any doctor they have 15 minutes to kind of assess what's going on and then move on to the next patient so you know that could be a whole new episode and healthcare and, you know, really taking your health into your own hands or getting some sort of healthcare, a doctor that is going to spend more time than 15 minutes and investing in that.
1: Right. And I see that Topeka is that how you say her name? I had a question about do things like egg freezing screw up your hormones long term? No, they don't. But it, what's interesting, we talk a lot about fertility myths and fertility struggles in the docu series as well. And I, it drives us crazy. We were talking about this in the docu series of how any woman 35 or older is considered a geriatric pregnancy, which is just so. Terrible. Crazy. There's so many women over 35 that are getting pregnant and having healthy pregnancies and babies, you know, and so that really, that term needs to be updated and it's, it's, yeah, that needs to go away. But, but we do talk about this. I think one of the things that it's really great that we have this ability to plan when we want to have babies, right. You know, if it's pr- with birth control, with, if we want to wait, maybe we have a career and we want to freeze our eggs eggs and still have them when we're older. One of the things that one of the experts in the docu-series folk that she talks a lot about, because she specializes in a few, and a few experts that specialize in fertility. And that just because, remember, just because you freeze your eggs, doesn't mean that you get to live this, like, you know, crazy lifestyle and not worry about your hormones, that you're still going to, your body still needs to be really healthy. Even if you have a really young, healthy egg, right? Young, meaning you you had, you know, you got that your eggs frozen when you were younger, that your physical body, that the pregnancy has to occur in, also still has to be healthy. So freezing your egg doesn't mess up your hormones, but there are a lot of things in the process that you can, that you could potentially do to screw up your hormones. So just making sure that you understand that the way that you eat, the way you manage stress, your sleep, your movement, your metabolism, all of these things, being healthy overall is still going to be important. Yeah. Yeah.
0: One of the questions that came from a few different people was about centered around burnout and hormones so you mentioned stress which stress you know is one of the leading factors of burnout among others and lack of sleep I have a friend that's an entrepreneur that you know she's constantly telling me oh I was up until three in the morning and then I had to wake up at six to take my kids to school and then the whole zoom call day starts over and then it's just this never-ending cycle so I imagine that when it comes to burnout there's no age bracket there that can affect like any women in their twenties and up, it doesn't matter how old they are. And so can you talk a little bit about, you know, the burnout has become like a crisis. It seems like over the past couple of years, what can women do and how does it, interact with hormones.
1: Yeah. So when we talk about burnout, a lot of what we're talking about is our adrenals. And as I mentioned, cortisol is one of the really, really important hormones that helps us in a lot of ways. And I also have a quiz if people want to, if they're not sure if like what hormone might be an issue, and you can go to hormoneseries.com slash quiz. And find out because there are different symptoms. And if you have various symptoms, then it could indicate if you have like high or low cortisol or androgens or thyroid or different things. So that can be a good tool to kind of get you on the right path. I also talk about it in the last chapter of my book, Natural Beauty Reset. So, yeah, so I think it's good to know what happens with cortisol. So, ideally, what our adrenals do with cortisol is that we have higher cortisol in the morning. We have this kind of surge in cortisol in the morning that helps us get up in the morning. So cortisol is not all a bad thing. It's actually a good thing. And so it helps us get up in the morning. What, you know, when people don't have that surge, it's one of the reasons why they're like, Oh my gosh, I have to have coffee. I, I can't get going. I have to have coffee. And another reason you could be saying that is you're just not sleeping. So that could be a different thing, which we can talk about, but then later on in the day, cortisol should drop down. When it lowers down at night, it's one of the things that helps us ease into sleep. But if our cortisol is still staying high or it never changed and it just stays flat across the day, then it's harder for our body to just settle into sleep. And we need sleep. We are busy doing so much during the day. Sleep is the time when we get Restored when our bodies really, our brains have a time to rest and our bodies have a time to restore. And if we're not getting that time, it's just going to lead into so many symptoms. We can't focus as well. We can't perform as well. We're just we can be more scattered. We can be more accident prone. We can be more likely to make mistakes in what we do or be forgetful. And and then of course it plays a physical toll on our bodies too. So Sleep is one of the biggest things that to really help us not get that burnout is to help support your body with this, what we call a diurnal rhythm of our cortisol, that earlier and then lower at night. And so, but a lot of what we do messes with that. So we, if we're getting up before it's daylight, if we're not getting enough sleep, if we're waking up and we haven't had, you know, six to eight hours of sleep and we're trying to push ourselves up, we're doing something that our body just isn't really designed to do. Our cortisol is not. And if we're just you know staying and we don't go outdoors, like it's important to actually go out into the sunlight. I'm actually, even though I'm inside right now, I'm sitting by a window just so I get some like light in my, you know, and it also makes Zoom calls, makes you look better in Zoom calls <laughs> when you got light on your face. So, you yeah. know, just going outside and getting some of that light, it's another signal that your body needs. And, and then taking time to rest throughout the day and restore breathing is one of the most powerful things you can do. And we do it. Automatically, but not necessarily in a way that helps us restore. So it's interesting. I've been wearing, let's see, these, you know, you've got these aura rings or different mm-hmm. devices where you can track your heart rate variability. That and was things. one of
0: the questions I, I was going to ask. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. how do we, what analytics should we look for? So I have the Fitbit and I'm always looking for, my husband has the aura. So we're uh-huh. comparing what's your sleep score every morning? What was your right. sleep score? What was your sleep score? And also the heart rate variability. So what are some other analytics that we should look for and what are some, how do we track that?
1: Right, so- you want with sleeping, you want to have different phases of sleep you want and it's nice that like Aura or some of the other ones they make it easy for you to kind of see and track it and it gives you like a rating and a score and all of that and so you kind of know where you are and and if it improves, then you'll see that. A heart rate variability is it's kind of the opposite of what you think the higher the better so you want your heart rate variability typically to be higher and what i started noticing is that my heart rate variability was kind of low and so that surprised me so i ended up getting a heart rate monitor and it's called a it's called a leaf i believe it's l i e f and you actually, it's like you have to put it on your heart, on your chest. So it's not as easy as wearing a ring. But what I noticed is that it'll notify me if my heart rate variability is not as good, if it's dropping, it'll kind of buzz. So then it gives you on the app, it gives you a breathing exercise to do. So it tells you breathe in. Okay. Now breathe out. Now, hold, you know, like, and it tells you like for a few minutes. And you can see, I can see my heart rate variability improving just with breathing and three That's minutes so cool. of breathing. And it's, it's nice to, Sometimes you have tools like that. If you don't really believe it, if you're just like, yeah, I don't know about that breathing stuff to have tools like that, to actually see your body responding to it. But even if you don't get tools like that, you can usually feel the difference when you stop. And take three to five minutes just to take some deep in br- breath in, deep exhale. And if your exhale is slightly longer, that can kind of help you shift out of that sympathetic to more parasympathetic state. But even if you just do equal breathing of three or four counts in and three or four counts out, that alone can be really helpful. So uh, yeah, breathing. I also think that things like journaling, gratitude, prayer, meditation, yoga, going for a walk in nature, doing, reading an actual physical book (laughs) rather than on a device, because especially before bedtime, so that it doesn't interfere with your melatonin production.
0: Okay. So I want to just share a couple of examples that I use. So I have the Fitbit and the premium Fitbit comes with this, it's called the EDA scan. And so when you listen to, so before I go to bed, I'll put on one of the Fitbit meditations and it automatically launches this, triggers this EDA scan. So it does kind of what you were saying. So it'll record my heart rate at the beginning. And then as it, you know, if it's 15 minutes, like what I end with, and it always makes a huge difference, like regulates it in a positive way. So that's so encouraging to see those analytics and like, see that it really is actually working. Naima is asking, do you have any suggestions, specific breathing exercises that help regulate the body? I guess, like maybe more specific than the couple that you just gave.
1: I think there's a book out there that I found fascinating. I think it's either, it's all there either called breath or breathe. And yeah. um, have you, have you read that book? It's...
0: I, I've heard so many amazing things. I really want to pick it up.
1: Very interesting. And so, I mean, it basically what it boils down to from listening to that book and reading it is that um it doesn't have to be a super complex breathing exercise, that it can be that simple as a three or four count in and a three or four count out, and just really looking at your mindset and just focusing on your breathing. It, it's amazing what even that can do. And I do want to make a difference between heart rate and heart rate variability. Those are two different numbers. So your heart rate is, you know, how many beats per minute you have your heart rate variability has more to do with the, the variability of your heart rhythms. And so that that's, yeah, it's a bit more of a stress indicator, whereas yes, but both of them are important to look at.
0: One of my issues too, it's never been falling asleep and I just would love your take on it. It's been, I'll fall asleep fine and then I'll wake up at let's say three in the morning and I'm just like thinking about all these things that I have to do. My mind is racing, you know, just going worrying about stuff that's kind of unnecessary. And so I started taking this, um, I don't know if you can see it, it's called, I, I just happen to have it here. It's called phytophosphate. I don't know what it's called, but so it's supposed to help kind of just take away that mind racing and, and I take it before I go to bed and I've actually noticed a, it's just a supplement. It's not like, but I've noticed a difference and also like your take on like taking melatonin and things like that before you go to sleep. I feel like it makes a difference. and makes me stay asleep. Like not, I don't have the problem going to sleep. It's just like, what are any other tips? Like when you wake up, I, what I used to do, which was terrible. I used to wake up and just start writing that article or get on my computer and start doing that to-do list or send, you know, crafting the email so I could send them at 8am when people wouldn't think I was crazy sending, getting emails at 3am. And that's like, the absolute worst. I just don't recommend that to anybody, but I thought for like years that that was like the solution. And it's definitely not.
1: (laughs) No, it's not. So before you even think about taking melatonin supplements, think about what you can do to restore your melatonin naturally. I definitely talk a lot about this in my book and why I focus on a lot on a seasonal approach because of the changes in the sun and how that can affect our sleep and behavior even. So, but what we want to do is we have to remember that light suppresses melatonin production, dark stimulates melatonin production. So when we have artificial or or natural light, it's hard to produce our own melatonin. So turning off electronics, dimming down the lights, even maybe like lighting some candles instead, having, I think a transition time for a good hour before bedtime, even your body temperature could change. You can lower your thermostat, lowering your temperature at night actually is another signal to your body that it's time for sleep. And so having that sort of natural ability to help your own production of your hormone melatonin and to help curb that cortisol as well, that adrenal hormone, and bring that down, having relaxing things you do at bedtime. And then in the morning, trying to get up with the sunlight and actually even going outside and allowing the sun to hit your eyes where that signal to your brain helps with the timing on your melatonin and to try also to go to bed at the same time every night. I know that can be tricky, but to get in this rhythm, especially if you go to the same time every night, you'll see if you, especially if you're using one of these monitors, like the aura ring, you'll see actually your sleep gets better. And your that amount of deep sleep and REM sleep that you need improves because your body is able to have the right amount of timing for each phase of sleep. Now, if you try things like that and it's still not enough, a lot of times people just jump right to taking melatonin, but it doesn't necessarily work for everyone. And most people end up taking too much melatonin. Our body only naturally makes about 02 Three milligrams, point three. Whereas a lot of people are taking like five milligrams or three milligrams. So if you're going to take melatonin, start with a really small amount, maybe like a half a milligram, and see if that's enough. If it's not enough, then you can you know go up to a few milligrams. But hopefully you shouldn't have to go up much higher than that. And but there are also a lot of so one of the things that people say, people that take melatonin sometimes will say they experience nightmares or their dreams are just so vivid that actually disturbs their sleep. And so that is actually a side effect can be a side effect of melatonin. Not everybody experiences that. I do notice that people that tend to need melatonin to start with lower amounts, they typically don't have that. But there are other supplements to help just sort of take that edge off and kind of ease you into sleep. So there are certain herbs like ashwagandha, certain adaptogenic herbs. That's one of my favorites we make at the spot doctor. We make a supplement called stress adapt. And that is one that will also, you know, kind of just takes that edge off. It doesn't necessarily make you sleepy, but it it helps with this like racing that's going on that happens with your adrenals getting amped up. So things like that can be helpful. Adaptogenic herbs. There are certain amino acids, maybe I'm not sure what it is in that supplement you're taking, but those can all be helpful. So yeah, a phosphatidylserine is, can be another one that actually is, typically works well if someone's cortisol is high at night. And it can be one of those that kind of helps with that, but not everybody, that's not why everybody's having difficulty falling asleep. Another one is low progesterone. That can be a sign of low progesterone and perimenopausal.
0: I have my progesterone right here.
1: Yeah. So even in for women in their thirties, I had that at 30 years old, I had low progesterone. And with my third pregnancy, I had to take progesterone in order to maintain the pregnancy because my progesterone was so low. So a lot of women in their thirties will even, their progesterone will start getting lower. So what you'll notice with that, and again, you could take the hormone quiz to kind of see if this sounds like you and your other symptoms, but having difficulty falling asleep, maybe you might have also have experienced some hot flashes or night sweats might feel more irritable when your progesterone is low, just a little snappy. It drops right when our period starts, So sometimes that's why we can be a little irritable, if we're still cycling, but with perimenopause, it's that more drastic drop in that will happen. And so that can be one of the big reasons for women to have
0: trouble sleeping. Okay. Awesome. I want to get to some questions here from Nava. So Nava is asking when you've had some health issues and you're getting anxiety from being diagnosed with some health issues, she's having a hard time breaking into, I guess, like a full breath exercise because of this. And do you have any suggestions on what she can do to alleviate that anxiety and She also asked about specific plants that would help with melatonin or better breathing.
1: Okay. So I think one of the things is that if we have so many racing thoughts going on for us, it's hard to turn them out. So I also have a master's degree in spiritual psychology, in addition to being a naturopathic physician. And one of the things that they taught us there, and I highly recommend, and I talk about it in my books is pre-form writing. And what you do is you get pieces of paper, lots of paper, and you just write down everything that's coming in your mind. Like a lot of times we do this with our girlfriends. We just do like a dump of like all the things that are going on for us, (laughs) but you know, like you can save your girlfriend's brain from (laughs) emotional state from, uh, and just write some of that stuff down. And when you write down your, it's another way to really release it and get it out because we tend to hold stuff on. And so if you just write and write and write, but here's the thing, don't read what you wrote, because what we're doing is we're releasing it. So you don't want to read it because then you take it back in and you don't want to save it. So write as much as you want. So all of your anxieties about your health issues, all your worries, like if you want to write a letter to your doctor that you'll never send, you're like, I can't believe you didn't tell me this and blah, blah, blah. And why can't we, why haven't you cured me of this? Blah, blah, blah. And you're like all the things or whatever it is. I'm so frustrated with my body or whatever, just write it all down. And once you feel like you've read, about as much as you, you know, have time to, or that you feel pretty complete on then burn it or shred it. So just that release of, of letting it go. And so sometimes it's hard for us to focus on a stress management practice, like breathing, if we've just got all that thing, that stuff, just running through our, our heads. So you could try that, see if that helps. And then Do something really relaxing too, to, to get you into more of a breath work state. And you, you're not going to have to do this every time, but just kind of have to train your body that it's safe to breathe and do this breath work and that I deserve it. And I have the time to do this and it's self-care and it's self-honoring. So taking a bath, lighting a candle, just writing in a gratitude journal, and then just taking some time for breathing. So you might, you might not be able to just jump right into it might have to do some of that work first. And then like I said, to so Sue, like I mentioned, some of the adaptogenic herbs could be really helpful, like our stress supplement that's made with ashwagandha.
0: Any house plants that help with sleeping or melatonin? I think that's what Nava was asking. And Topeka was asking, can you ODN hormones?
1: House plant I think she means like plants like supplements and stuff. Oh okay but, okay but yeah so I think I thought so, she meant house plants. I was did I you mean, you know, it's <laughs> funny. I just did an interview for for Good housekeeping on houseplants oh. and how they can be beneficial for our health. So you could probably Google that if that's what you're actually looking for. It's I think that article is already. Oh
0: out. no, Nava said she did mean houseplants. <laughs> um, oh, you
1: do mean houseplants. So there are houseplants that are known to be helpful with cleaning our air, like spider plants and certain types of ivy. I'm you know I have to go back and look at you know the, okay. my notes and all that. But also just any kind of gardening, whether it's a house plant or outdoors, just the act of like, being in like taking care of a plant, there are multiple reasons why that's beneficial. And one of them is actually when you get into dirt, you're actually helping your microbiome. And that microbiome and there are beneficial microbes and soil that can actually help alleviate your mood.
0: That's awesome. So Holly, so cute. She's like, Dr. Casey, you sure you don't want to move to Denver. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say that besides the hormones and health. Dr. Cates has the spa doctor, which I've been using her skincare routine since we met four years ago. And my esthetician, once I started, and I've never been one to have a four-step routine. I mean, I would jump from product to brand constantly, just buying whatever kind of looked like cool, but I've used yours consistently and I am not being paid to say this at all, but like literally my esthetician, my skin has, I get so many compliments on it. So definitely check that out because her knowledge and wisdom goes way way beyond hormones. Holly is also asking any insights on how to shop for an expert like you, questions to ask. That's a great question. Lisa, maybe you have thoughts on how to find the support team. Yeah, that's a really good question, Holly.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I think it's great to look for either a naturopathic physician or a functional medicine doctor. And so Naturopathic doctors, unfortunately, are not licensed in every state. So you may not have one in your state. There are doctors who can do telemedicine though, across to different places. So you can also look for a doctor who does telemedicine. And there are now companies even that have practitioners that have multiple licenses in different places. So, but you can go to naturopathic.org, which is the American Association of Naturopathic Physicians website, naturopathic.org. Oh, <laughs> shit. And there's a find an ND, find a naturopathic doctor. And so you can go look up your zip code or your city and the specialty that you're looking for. So if you're looking specifically for hormones, then look at, you know, women's health, hormones, endocrinology, those types of things. Then also, if you don't live in a state where there are naturopathic doctors, you can also go to the Institute for Functional Medicine. I can't remember their website off the top of my head, but if you Google Institute for Functional Medicine and find a functional medicine doctor in your area that have a similar kind of database. And those are the difference. Is naturopathic doctors like myself, we are trained in this approach from the get-go from year one, all the way through our four years of medical school, it's incorporated in learning nutrition and botanical medicine, environmental medicine, all of these things, whereas functional medicine doctors will go and they'll become, but you know, as a naturopathic doctor, we also get anatomy, physiology, pathology, all of that stuff, the same, you know, pharmacology, all of that. We can prescribe medications when necessary. But with with functional medicine doctors, they go through conventional school. And then later on, they realize, wait, I want to do what my naturopathic colleagues are doing. So they go back and they get training in it. So it's different, but similar. And so I have lots of friends that are both functional medicine doctors as well as naturopathic doctors. In the UK, I don't really know the regulations there. Unfortunately, I don't know what to tell you internationally. I think that there are naturopathic programs there. Their programs are not as, I, I don't think you get as much training in conventional medicine or like not as much of an integrated medicine approach. But there are some great, you know, like herbology, botanical, nutrition. I know there are a lot of programs over there. So you should be able, but you might have, what you might have to do there is find a more of a conventional doctor to kind of do like your regular stuff and then someone to supplement. And I think that that's fine too. I know a lot of my patients over the years have had, you know, more of a GP that they see, and then they also, I'm part of their healthcare team. So
0: I'm going to ask this question for somebody about back issues and your spine health and hormones and supplements. So if you have spine issues that is there, are there any supplements or is there any connection to hormones that we should know about?
1: So spine issues being like degeneration or pain or injuries, what, what kind of
0: spinal cord issues,
1: spinal cord issues. So maybe it's like an injury, like a trauma you think is that
0: um this question's for Nava. Nava, you put how we can help you with that.
1: Oh yeah. Okay. So degeneration. Okay. So what you, you know, just doing things to support your body. This isn't really my area of specialty, but you, I'm trying to think of some colleagues that might be helpful with that. I wonder if Dr. Greg Eckel or Dr. Harry Adelson would know more about that, but certainly anything that you do to just kind of support your body overall is going to be helpful and any kind of degenerative diseases what is oftentimes happening is your body sort of breaking itself down. And so doing things to help make sure that you're supporting your body. And that includes mindset exercises that, you know, feelings of self-worth and, you know, love and appreciation for yourself and your body can actually be very beneficial.
0: Okay. Awesome. Topeka says, this was amazing. Thank you. We'll spread the word where I can. Awesome. Thank you. Is there anything else you want to add?
1: let's see what are some schools where I can learn I mean there are naturopathic medical schools that you you know like where I went I went to the school in Portland Oregon the National University of Natural Medicine and functional. when you go to if you go to Institute for Functional Medicine you can learn more about their trainings I think you already have to have some sort of certification or degree before going doing that program but the naturopathic medical schools also offer like oriental medicine programs, Chinese medicine programs, nutrition, botanical medicine. So you could find things like that. Those are the ones that I would recommend. I really like the programs where you go in person. There's something that when somebody just has an online certification, it could be a good start, but having that in-person experience with patients or clients is I think really crucial when you're looking at getting a good education.
0: Okay, awesome. Well, thank you everybody for joining. Thank you for joining us so talented, a wealth of information. I appreciate so much that I met you and that our paths crossed when they did so that I can just spread all this goodness to all my female disruptors who are here today and watching the recording. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Namaste, everybody. Thank you for joining us on the Female Disruptors Office Hours. If you want more, please check out our website at femaledisruptors.com. We are hosting the second annual Female Disruptors Virtual Summit in January 2023, and I would love to see you there, femaledisruptors.com. Thank you so much to our sponsors, The Buyer Group, Goat Social, and Social Media Pros.